hello and welcome back to the Dentistry Online podcast. Um, I'm here today with John Makin, the head of the DDU. Um, so I've been starting off these podcasts usually asking how lockdown went, um, but I'm, I thought we'd uh, try something different today and start off with how you got into dentistry. Sure, well, it, it's, it started off as an 11-year-old patient. Unfortunately, I, I broke my upper front teeth when I was at school and um, my local dentist very kindly put me back together and uh, as a consequence I thought well that'd be a pretty pretty cool thing to do so um, I never really thought about doing anything else really um, same same dentist I'll give him a shout out he's called Mike James um, <laughs> put me back together and then very kindly gave me some work experience um, so then off I went to, to Manchester Dental School and Manchester was a great place to be in the early 80s because of the Hacienda Club and the music scene and all the rest of it. Um, so notwithstanding that, I still managed to qualify. <laughs> uh, so then, then straight from, from university, I, I went off to a branch practice and worked on my own and uh, incredibly bought the practice about 15 months after I qualified. Oh, which uh, they were quite different times, really. And um, and then I was thinking the other day, and I, I, I we'd run out of impression material, so I popped round to the local supplier to buy some impression material, and ended up buying a second surgery because they were closing down their equipment. So it wasn't necessarily particularly well planned, and and I think one might say these days it, it grew organically from uh -huh. there. Um, how, I mean, 15 months after arriving, how, was that not a stressful experience? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> patient expectations were very different to, uh, to how they are now. Patient expectations were, were pretty low and uh, I almost met them. Um, but um, yeah, so very, very different times. And, um, you know, uh, we, there were no sort of contracts with the NHS in those days. You, you put your nameplate up on the door and... Uh, if patients like you, they came back and, and, and you carried on from there. So from there, how did you, so the DDU, how was, how long have you been there for? Oh, I've been at the DDU for about 10 years. I, okay. I, I, when I was at the practice, I got into foundation training and one of the best things that's ever happened to the profession in my view. And that was a good way to, to sort of grow the practice mm -hmm. and um, introduce new colleagues into, into dentistry. And it was through that that I developed my interest in dental legal matters. So started part time with the DDU as an advisor and uh, five years ago um, took on my current position. So I can imagine, I mean, from the start, from when you started with the DDU, but especially in the, the five years that you've been, you've headed it up. I can imagine this year's perhaps thrown the most sort of challenges <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at, at you and, uh, and your team. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting. I mean, the, the last nine months or so, clearly, been challenging for everyone. Obviously, maintaining member support's been our absolute priority and sort of understanding and meeting their ever-changing needs in a timely manner really has been our, our priority. Mm. Um, obviously, all our, all our dental legal advisors are dentists, so um, have, have a, a deep and profound understanding of, of dental practice. Um, albeit that obviously currently things are very very different to the norm yeah um so we were well set as an organization to to transition if you like to to home working and and great uh, credit to our it guys mm. um it was a pretty seamless transition and um 
we were able to sort of maintain service levels for members at, at, at the sort of high levels that they quite rightly expect of us. Uh -huh. um, I mean, one of the first things that we did was obviously recognise the financial implications for members of a, of a shutdown. And obviously as a not-for-profit, you know, member-owned mutual, we were immediately able to sort of set up refunds and subscription reductions and the like and, and put money back in members' pockets where they, they needed it at that time. Um, so, you know, we've been flexible with our membership to, to reflect their sort of ever-changing working circumstances as, as um, the, the sort of back-to-practice transition has taken place we've been able to to be flexible and um you know also important in keeping them up to date with with changes you know individually through direct inquiries through podcast website direct mm -hmm. newsletters etc so yeah i can uh, i can imagine um that that went quite far with your members um during a time where communication i think a lot of people have, have said that there were some parts of um of the pandemic in terms of dentistry that weren't communicated very well um so knowing that you were you were doing that with your with your members we probably went a very long way um they're probably very grateful to have to have had that direction and and, and updates when when they're available sure yeah i mean obviously there was an avalanche of, of guidance and regulation to digest and it was often you know released overnight in the evenings etc and obviously we had to be up and ready to advise members right away and of course, you know, there were four lots of guidance, what, you know, one, one for each of the four UK nations. Um, so, yeah, a, a big challenge, but one we were more than uh, happy to, to rise to. Yeah, um, I remember in, in June when um, practices were, were allowed to open their doors again. I think it was the 8th was the date. It was announced about ten days beforehand. Um, but I remember, well, in hindsight, it was it was just incredibly stressful for practices. But I remember looking at Twitter and a lot of um, practice owners, dentists, dental professionals found out via the um, the afternoon update um, that, that they were going to be opening again in ten days. And I think at that those ten days um, here were, were quite stressful. But I can imagine you had sort of an influx of queries at that time as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, we dealt with literally hundreds of, of calls, as you can imagine, um, on a on a whole range of different situations, and it, it was you know pretty much changing as the situation changed really so you know depending on on what the current challenge that colleagues were facing you know initially it was how to shut down and and still look after patients and so you know really challenging in the in the the times when the urgent care centers weren't yet up and running but colleagues mm -hmm. were really concerned about you know caring for patients who were in immediate need and you know, we, we, we had to give them some sort of pragmatic advice on risk managing situations and, and putting patients best interests first, really. And, um, you know, some 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 tricky decisions for everyone to make, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and, and clearly, you know, it, it, with time, the, the types of questions we've been asked have, have, have changed progressively, really. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm very proud of the team that, that they sort of maintain call service levels we, we we you know we answer 98 percent plus of calls within 20 seconds um and and even though the call volumes you know went through the roof um we, we were still able to to do that 
I mean, one of the key questions we were asked is, you know, am I indemnified if, you know, if I do this, am I indemnified for that? And, and you know, again, we're not an insurance company, so we don't have small print and, and, and you know, exclusions and all the rest of it. So we were able to explain to our members that we don't set clinical standards. Um, it, it, you know, our advice is that if you act in accordance with a responsible body of opinion, then you're not likely to be justifiably criticised. But however colleagues interpret that, you know, avalanche of guidance, they, they know they can confidently look to us for our advice and support, however they interpret it. But clearly, you know, if they follow a responsible body of opinion, then we're going to be best placed to very successfully uh, defend them. So how how have these queries um, and, and inquiries have they how have they changed as the year has progressed? Because like you said, um, it was a case at one point of, of guidance changing. You know, it could have been weekly. Um, things were new information was being released, and and it, it did get a bit complicated at times. But obviously now practices have been able to to be back up and running for well six months now. Um, so what what's what sort of the key um, the key query that's coming in at the moment, for example, as we look to the to 2021, what are you dealing with at the moment? Well, I mean, it, it's developed as the guidance has evolved, really, etc. And, the, the, you know, there becomes some sort of flavour of the, of the week type questions. I mean, one of them at one time was, you know, a, a lot of our hygienist colleagues were calling up and saying, look, you know, the AGP guidance is here, air changes per hour and all the rest of it. Can I, I don't normally have a nurse to work with. Can I work? you know without a nurse etc and colleagues were very worried about, about those kinds of things well i mean the, the the key thing here is that whatever the question general dental legal principles still apply and, and what we've said is you know do you remember when you were at school and you used to do maths and and they'd say to you they'd say to you show you're working out and they'd say show you're working out because because the answer is that you know you would get brownie points for showing the way in which you've approached a problem uh -huh. even if you or I would would come to slightly different conclusions at the end of it and I think in these circumstances there are no black or white answers mm. necessarily and you know local factors such as the patient themselves the geography of the practice the particular circumstances pertaining at the time can influence that decision so what we've said to our colleagues is look start with the end in mind if you've got a decision to make and you make a particular decision and you're criticized what would you say in response what would you say was the rationale for that decision and if you can sort of look backwards and say i made that decision because i was following x y or z and the local circumstances were and it was in the patient's best interest because then you're going to be able to confidently defend your position if you if you can't look back and do that well that's probably answering the question for you at the time so show you're working out and then map it to the guidance that's in force at the time that's one thing we have been doing is keeping score of that guidance because although it's ever changing it's important that we can always refer to it in the future because as you'll be aware gabby you know claims and and things can come in often many many years after the event so if, if a colleague's decision making is questioned you know in five or ten years time at that particular 
snap, you know, that, that, that pinpointing time, mm -hmm. we've got to be able to say, well, that was a reasonable decision in those circumstances mm -hmm. and in that context. Okay. I mean, forgive me, I'm, I'm perhaps quite, I'm not sort of up to scratch with, with how, how this all works. This might seem like a bit of a um, naive question, but I'm, go I'm going to ask it anyway. So what you were just saying there is show your workings out and if you've got, you know, the evidence behind you, then the decision and you can sort of justify why you've made that decision according to the, the available guidance, then you yeah. should be, you should be sort of covered as such. Is that sort of the same approach that uh, practices should have been taken pre-pandemic? Is it sort of just... Maintaining, yeah, I mean, maintaining how things were prior to it and, and to the current to the current circumstances. Yeah, it's just taking a logical approach to decision making and, and you know, as I say, follow a responsible body of opinion. That responsible body of opinion doesn't necessarily always need to be the majority view, but it's a responsible body of opinion. And if one steps away from the norm for whatever reason, then if one can justify that by showing one's working out, then we're in a strong position to deal with that. And if you look at some of the things that GDC and the joint regulators have said, they acknowledge that, that colleagues might be having to make unusual decisions in unusual circumstances. And they've said they, they won't necessarily look behind that. Again, yeah. we're keeping score and we'll, we'll remind them of that if necessary. <laughs> oh, you mentioned the GDC there, and I know there's been some surveys and studies and research that's that's come about among lots of lots of research that's come out over the last nine months, but that show that dentists really do fear um, sort of GDC investigation um, as a result of actions and treatment that they're carrying out um, sure. in the middle of all of this. So, what I mean, what would you say to dental professionals who are who are still um, sort of quite anxious? to uh, get back to what we'd say, oh, I don't want to say normal practice, but you know, um, AGPs and, 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 and things like that. What would you say to those who are perhaps quite Well, I, I think taking a step back, you, you're quite right. And, and there is a, 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 a bit of a culture of fear around this. First thing I would say is, and you know, whenever we do a, a dental legal presentation, particularly to newly qualified colleagues, it's really important to have a positive message. The, the chances of a career changing dental legal event are really small. You know, there are, there are uh, 113,000 registrants um, and, and an incredibly small proportionally number of, you know, fitness to practice hearings, etc. Um, so it, it's a small risk, but with, with good prevention and good risk management advice, we can make that, that risk even smaller. So again, the same principles apply. So good complaint handling, so that we're resolving matters at a local level, therefore reducing the risk of them being escalated to third parties such as the GDC. I mean, on a positive note, the, the complaints direct to the GDC are at about 50% of the level that they were four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. So obviously once stuff gets into the GDC's process, into the uh, sort of sausage machine there it, it it can take some time to get it out the other end so important not to get to the gdc in the first place um so th there are lots of positive things that we can do to mm -hmm. reduce that that risk obviously if someone is unfortunate enough to have a complaint at, at the gdc then obviously our experience in advising members of of ways of of you know concluding that at the earliest possible stage i.e. reducing the risk of it progressing and, and sanction 
Um, again, we've got lots of experience in the team to help with that, you know, early CPD, so that we can demonstrate on members' behalf that there's no need for GDC action. The, the other thing is, again, if someone's unfortunate enough to get a GDC case, our in-house legal team have an absolutely fantastic um, success rate. 84% of the cases that they deal with at the case examiner stage, which is kind of the middle stage, I'll, I'll stop at that point and don't go forward to a formal hearing, which is way higher than the, the sort of average of about 59%. So lots of things we can do to reassure members, but the prevention in the first instance is the key. Yeah. Do you think gradually as the year's gone on, have you have you seen people sort of start to, because like you said, the the apprehension of dental professionals and teams is completely justified. You know, this year has been extremely difficult um, for, for many reasons, but dentistry was hit really hard. Um, and there's been a lot of sort of negative news surrounding dental surgeries being unsafe and, and things like that, um, which we, we know they're not, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're some highest uh, um, cross-contamination. Yeah, could be, and, and um, as such like that. But, um, um, but would you say that um, as the year's gone on, people have started to 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 relax a little bit more and, and understand that it's not a, as such a sort of scary situation as, as they thought initially. I think, I think colleagues, you know, always want to stay the right side of the line. I mean, that's the key thing. And it's uncertainty that, that breeds concern, really. You know, and, and unfortunately, they've had a, an awful lot of decisions to make that they wouldn't normally be having to, to make. Yeah. Um, and, and it's that uncertainty. Colleagues want to make it, you know, there isn't always a yes or no, right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. and, and to some degree, it's that uncertainty and, and how will others will interpret it. And I think that's what we've been particularly able to to assist them with, to, to give them that sort of confidence to make that decision. And, that you know, the record keeping and all the rest of it yeah. will put them in position A in the event that, that there is any criticism of them. I know um, one of the, the key topics that's been spoken about um, once do uh, dental practices were open again was, was fallow time. Um, I can imagine you're really bored of hearing that phrase. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. It, it, it's of fundamental importance to, to, to colleagues in, in, you know, in, in keeping, to some extent, keeping their practices viable. Absolutely. So it's been an absolutely fundamental issue. Um, and again, there's local variation as to, you know, yeah. how they go about that yeah yeah definitely i mean obviously as it stands at the moment um wales have, have recently received a just short of half a um half a million um to help fund um practices ventilation systems um so that they can sort of reduce that follow time and improve patient access uh, to sort of kick start the profession um again um but do, do you so when it comes to follow time do you see this changing anytime soon or do you think this is sort of how it's going to be uh, for the foreseeable well, I mean, we, we don't, as, as I said earlier, we don't set clinical standards and it's not really our, our role to sort of to do that. That You know, the, there's expertise out there, um, Public Health England and others who, who you know, faculty, yeah. uh, FGDP, College of Dentistry, etc. And, and many other bodies who will set those standards. But clearly, there's certainly a recognition mm. of that being a stumbling back, block back to business as usual. And... Um, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. We've seen that with how quickly that um, 
the vaccines have been brought in and all the rest of it. And clearly when, when, when minds are, are brought to bear on a problem, then there are often solutions and the profession is, is, is very adept in, in finding its solutions. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like there's been a, a real difference. I think the fact this second lockdown, I mean, the thing is, we, we said it was a second lockdown in November. I don't think it was comparable to the one at the beginning of the year, really. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I found it a lot easier the second time around. Um, yeah, I mean, very different circumstances. I mean, colleagues have still been able to see patients. And again, they've been asking, can I do this? Should I do that? It, it's very much a, a risk-benefit analysis, isn't it, really? So... Uh -huh. You know, colleagues have been balancing even in a, a sort of high tier area or whatever, the, you know, the risks of patients attending mm. public transport, et cetera, et cetera, against the health gain that, that, that they're making in, in coming to, to the practice and having the care delivered. And, and again, yeah. colleagues are making those, those, that risk benefit analysis over and over again, and, and it'll vary enormously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, these tiers are obviously wise. Um, I think we knew um, from sort of the mid of the year it's going to be a case of locking down and relaxing again, locking down and relaxing again. Um, yeah. but, I mean, we're based in Hertfordshire here. So yesterday, obviously, our county's now not it's been split well, it's into, too, isn't it? yeah. into, into yeah. loads of districts, which just complicates it even yeah. further. So, um, so I guess that's going to be, like you said, it's just constantly adapting to these changing circumstances, um, which they will be changing, I think, um, quite rapidly for the foreseeable, as they have been um, for the rest yeah, of the year. Yeah. I mean, looking forward, in, in, in your opinion, how do you see the, the dental legal world unfolding for 2021? Um, what, what key challenges do you see ahead or what, how do you see the profession um, yeah, progressing? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, let, let's hope that we do see a progressive return to, to normality and some of the things you've touched on will, will help with that. I suspect we'll see some legacy complaints and claims from delays, treatment delays in, in 2020 um, coming through. I think we'll see an increase in digital and remote dentistry. I, I, you know, I think some of the things that we've learned in this period will be put to very positive um, use. So there's certainly some exciting potential for innovation there. Um, but with that, as ever, come some risks for us to, to help members to manage. Um, I think patient expectations will continue to increase, um, certainly compared with, with my starting in practice. And colleagues will continue to be balancing that tension between the business and practice of dentistry, which, of course, yeah. the dentist recommends. Um, there's actually an Ipsos Mori uh, report that the GDC Commission that's actually available on their website. And it makes really interesting reading for, for, for um, colleagues to see because it, it explores that, that patient or consumer mm. interface. And there's some really um, great market research in there as to what makes patients tick and it, it, it's really interesting from a sort of a, a, a marketing perspective, et cetera, but also from a risk management perspective, because, you know, the, the, the way we interact with our, it, it's a people business. Yeah, absolutely. And if we, if we can get into patients' heads and know what's making them tick, then obviously we can, we can deal with the risk management side of it as well. So lots of, lots of change, I think, you know, some enforced, 
some some happy and positive from what's going forward but you know whatever happens i think we're, we're part of a fantastic profession that that will rise to the challenge and whatever 2021 brings the the ddu team will be here for our members are offering guidance and support and, and when needed robust defense they can be sure of that well that's that's very good to hear um but hopefully you know 2021 i don't do you know what i don't even like saying it because i don't want to jinx it but i, I i'm hoping next year like i said it's not going to the year's not going to um, be completely devoid of, of the virus. We know that for sure. But um, the the vaccine being administered a few weeks back was definitely um, a, a positive and hopefully uh, the dentistry will just uh, come back better and bigger um, and, and, and stronger for it. Yeah. Um, but moving away from moving away from dentistry and um, just to round off the podcast, um, what do you what do you like to do in your spare time? Um, outside of dentistry? Uh, is there something that people don't know about you? Well, I, 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 most recently, I mean, I, I had a, an MG car when I, when I was a student and um, I always said I'd get another one and, and kind of never <laughs> got around to it. So over, over lockdown, I, I, I bought myself another MG. So I, I enjoy tinkering with that at the weekends. Um, it's funnily enough, it's exactly the same age as me. <laughs> um, but it's in rather better condition and spare parts are easier to come by uh, <laughs> but that's what I've been up to that's that's a nice um nice to have was that because of lockdown that you decided to to invest was it something? yeah, it was, yeah. It was kind of a, a a trigger it was uh right you know if, if not if not now when you know so that's it no definitely um and also it's a, a great time to to actually enjoy it properly um because you know, you have the time, I guess, in some ways, um, even exactly. though if you if you were kept busy. Um, I was told you're you're also a Man U fan. Is that correct? Ah, Seb's been letting you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's right. So I've been, yeah. following, been following them on the TV as well. Sure. Okay, okay. That's we glad to see a return to football after it. Um, shut, well, yeah, stop stopped early on the year. Yeah, it's a bit, bit weird with the Zoom crowds and all that kind of thing, isn't it, really? But yeah, um, I'm not really sure how I feel about it, to be honest with you. It's, um, I kind of, you just get used to it in the end, don't you, I think? Like, like so. anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, it's been lovely chatting. And um, yeah, let's, let's, let's hope onwards and upwards um, and for 2021. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Gavin. No worries. Cheers.